We're in Genesis chapter 7. We looked at chapter 6 and sort of the background of both Noah's life and everything that was going on around planet Earth. We looked at sort of the madness that was happening with the fallen angels or with the demons, if you would, with the different women and men that were living on Earth. So many of them were just focused on food and drink and sex and things of that sort. And God came to a point where he said that he will need to wipe the earth clean. In chapter 6, verse 3, it says, Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever. So then he lowers the age. Instead of living 600, 700, 800, 900 years, he shrinks it down by a whole lot, down to 120 years max. Then in verse 5, we saw that there was wickedness within man and it was great on this earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things to the birds of the sky. For I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah, we see, found favor or found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And then God, he goes on to talk with Noah, spend time with Noah, reveal his plan for Noah. And now as Noah's been building the ark, again, people way above my pay grade, they've done the math and the time that it took to build the ark was anywhere from 75 years to 120 years of working, building this boat. Again, for some of us, our projects in the home are still half done. There's still some drywall missing or some outlets missing and things like that sort. Imagine building a boat that was 450 feet long with no power tools, no nothing, right? No GCs, no contractors. At least he didn't have to go to the city and get his plans approved or anything like that. But it was all by hand. It was completely milling all this wood, cutting all this wood, and doing it all by hand. And the time that it must have taken him. And now in verse 1, it says, Then the Lord said to Noah, Come and enter into the ark, you and all your household. For you, and the Nazareth says, For you alone I have seen to be righteous before me in this time. Again, God saw Noah as a righteous man, before he began to build the ark and after he builds the ark. And again, imagine being faithful to the Lord, not just one year, not just five years, not just 10 years, but imagine being faithful to the Lord 75 years or 120 years, that the Lord would look at us and say, hey, that's a righteous man. That's a blameless man. That's a man who I have found favor with, a man that God would look down and he would give his thumbs up of approval. God saw Noah alone to be righteous before him. And again, family, as we looked at last week, if Noah could do it, so can we. If Noah could do it, so can we. I don't know if there's anybody here that's been walking with the Lord 75 years, right? I'm willing to put money down. There's nobody that's been walking with the Lord 120 years here. But if Noah could do it, so can we, family. We've been given his word. We've been given himself. We've been given the Holy Spirit, the body of believers around us. We can be faithful to the Lord. So many of us, our relationship with the Lord is worse than the worst roller coaster out there. 
It's just this constant up and down and these turns and these loops and these drops and all these huge highs. But that's not what the Lord has for us. The walk that God has for us is to continue to go from glory to glory. A slow but steady progress and growth. That is what God has for us. And we'll have dry seasons. We will have tough seasons. We'll have seasons when we don't feel that close to Him. But we should be slowly but steadily growing with Him. Just like you would want for any kid, right? If you have a son or daughter, or maybe a nephew, a niece, a grandson or a granddaughter, you want their growth and maturity to happen slow but steady. Slow but steady. You don't want it too fast because then you got to buy all their clothes all over again, uh, even though that happens sometimes. You don't want it too slow because then you begin to get worried and the doctors could get worried. You certainly don't want them shrinking, right? Or getting smaller all of a sudden. Or now if you see language delays or things like that happening, it can trouble us a whole lot. So imagine how the Lord looks at us when we step out, when we slow down, when we stop, when we say, Lord, this is much too difficult. But the blessing here is that in many Bible versions and as you study the true Hebrew, God is telling him, come into the ark. In a sense, God is giving us that same call. He's not saying, hey, you go by yourself in the boat and I'm going to hang out up here in heaven. But God is saying, hey, come inside with me. A couple of verses we can write down. You don't have to turn there. But in Isaiah 45, verse 22, this is the Lord speaking to the nation of Israel. And he tells them, turn to me and be saved. All the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. And as we look at these scriptures, the same calling, the same bidding, the same beckoning that God gave Noah, God is giving to us. It's the same calling, it's the same pleading that God is giving to all of mankind. It's, hey, come and turn to me. If not, you will find your doom. Come and turn to me. If not, there will be judgment. In Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus, he tells us, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Again, how this world, it abuses us. It beats us up. It's exhausting. The people that we love most, the people that we give the most to are the very same people that hurt us the most. Maybe you've had a difficult season in life. Are we coming to the Lord? Are we leaving our ways? Are we leaving our pride? And are we coming to the Lord? In John chapter 6, verse 37, Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. Again, God didn't tell Noah, hey, you got to go get a haircut first and then come on into the ark. Or, hey, no, you got to change those clothes and then come in. Or, no, you have to clean yourself up and then come into the ark. No, he just tells him, hey, come into the ark. John chapter 7, verse 37, it tells us, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Again, God has allowed the evil of this world to happen to cause us to hunger and thirst for something different. And that's why we need to be so careful as believers that we give the world something different, that we look different, that we live different. If not, there's going to be no comparing and contrasting. It's going to be the same thing here, the same thing there, same thing at the gym, is the same thing at church, that's the same thing at the concerts, that's the same thing on television. There'll be no hunger, no thirst. 
Revelation chapter 22, verse 17 and 20, it says, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let the one who hears, come, and let the one who thirsts, come, and let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost, come. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Guys, Jesus is coming at any moment. And are you coming to the throne? Are you walking to the throne? Are you turning away from our own sin, from our own flesh, and walking towards the Lord? I talk about it with the young adults all the time. Whenever I'm going through a tough thing in life, the Lord is usually not the first thing I naturally turn to, right? When you're going through something difficult, maybe Google's the first thing you turn to. How do I do this? How do I deal with kids that don't want to obey? How do I deal with a spouse that doesn't want to obey, right? Or whatever the case may be. We go to Google first, right? Or maybe you ask Siri or whoever's on Android or Samsung or whatever is the case. We may go to parents or in-laws. We may go to coworkers or friends. But how often can we say the first person I turned to was the Lord? The first person I turned to was the Lord before anyone else. Not saying that we shouldn't go to doctors and in-laws and friends and family and even Google sometimes. It helps out a whole lot. But are we going to the Lord first and foremost? Matthew Henry, he says, Those that keep themselves pure in times of common iniquity, God will keep safe in times of common calamity. Those that partake not with others in their sin, shall not partake with them in their plagues. Again, family, are we living in righteousness? Are we living blameless before the Lord? Are we living, are we walking with God? Will we come to Him today? Will we come to Him today, departing from our sins, as Hebrews 12 tells us, departing from our sins and the weights which so easily entangle us? Will we run our race with endurance? Will we run to him and say, Lord, I want to live for you. I want to live for you as hard as I can. And it's important to remember that the heart of God is not to see anyone condemned to hell. The heart of God is not desiring and hoping for people to burn in hell for all of eternity. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it tells us, Not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. This is the will of God. I know some people from certain beliefs within the Bible will say differently, but this is what Scripture says, that the Lord desires for all of mankind, even that super annoying co-worker or those tough in-laws, right? That guy that just cut you off in the middle of the street. The Lord even wants him or her to not perish. But we continue, Genesis chapter 7, verse 2. And it tells us, you shall take with you of every clean animal by seven, a male and his female, and all the animals that are not clean, two, a male and his female. Also of the birds of the sky by sevens, male and female, to keep offspring alive on the face of the earth. For after seven more days, I will send rain on the earth and 40 days and 40 nights. And I will blot out from the face of the land every living thing that I have made. You see, God has already told Noah that he would bring all the animals to him. 
Again, imagine if how difficult it is to have a good day of fishing or a good day of hunting. Imagine trying to catch every single type of species or kind of animal out there. But again, God in His grace in chapter 6, verse 20, the Lord told Noah, the Lord tells us of the birds after their kind and of the animals after their kind, of every creeping thing of the ground after its kind, two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. And how good God is to us, how good God is to Noah. He doesn't make it completely impossible for him. If it took him 120 years to build the ark, imagine how long it would have taken him to cross the globe and catch every single animal, a male and a female. Some of you guys are good with animals. Many of us aren't. Lord, is this bird male or is it female, right? What's, what's going on here? What about these lizards, these cockroaches, these mosquitoes? Which one is which, right? And the, the grace of God through it. But imagine being told, as God told Noah here in verse 4, after seven more days, I will send rain on this earth for 40 days and 40 nights, and I will blot out from the face of the land every living thing that I have made. Again, what if God would tell you that, hey, the rapture is coming in seven days? Would you make any lifestyle changes, right? Would you make any conscious decisions to change things up a bit? The people you would spend time with or the people you wouldn't spend time with. The things we'd be watching or the things that we wouldn't be watching. Family, how are we living? Because perhaps today, perhaps the day is the day that the rapture comes and are we ready for it? Are we excited for it? Are we waking up each morning saying, Lord, please, may today be the day that you come back. May today be that day. And we know that around this time, the people around Noah didn't care. But imagine seeing every single day just animals coming to Noah, just each and every day. You see just this pair of elephants, then a pair of sheep, a pair of lions, a pair of bears, a pair of tigers, right? All these different things just coming to Noah each and every day, and yet they still did not believe. We read it last week in Luke 17. Let's turn there. It's always great to read this portion of Scripture. Gospel of Luke chapter 17. And again, this is Jesus, and he's telling us the signs of the coming, of his second coming, of the rapture. It's things we should be looking out for, things we should be paying attention to. We know that no one knows the day or the hour that the rapture is happening, but God, in his love and in his infinite wisdom, he's giving us the warning signs of when it's going to happen. Just like doctors can do their best or Husbands or wives or pregnant women can do their best to hope when the baby's coming, but no one really knows when the baby's coming till the baby's coming, right? Till the birth pangs are happening, till the pain is coming, till the timing is right. That's when the baby's coming. And in the same way, in Luke chapter 17, verse 26, Jesus tells us, And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, and they were drinking, and they were marrying, and they were being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. This is the warning for us, guys, is that we wouldn't fall asleep, that we wouldn't fall asleep in the pleasures of this world or some of the good things of this world that if they're unchecked, they become our gods and they can become our idols. Again, I love to eat, I love being married, 
and these are good things, but we can get carried away and they can become our idol. And now we don't seek the Lord as much because we're so obsessed with X, Y, or Z. Do we have priorities in their proper place? But we go back to Genesis chapter 7, and what we were looking at, if I lost you, was how even though Noah was building this giant boat, and they had never seen a boat before, even though Hebrews tells us that Noah was preaching righteousness to the people, uh, Pastor John Miller, he thinks Noah first built a pulpit, and then he started building the ark. So he can go, he can work on the ark, and then he can come and preach righteousness. So Noah, he's there preaching righteousness. Noah's there working on this boat, his own time, his own money, his own sweat, his own resources. These animals are starting to come each and every day, and yet the people, they're not paying attention. The people do not care. Matthew Henry, he tells us, But it's common for those who have been careless of their souls during the years of their health, that when they have looked upon death at a distance, to be just as careless during those days, the seven days of their sickness, when they see it approaching, and their hearts will be hardened by the deceitfulness of their sin. That lots of times we lie to ourselves, or we hear people lying to themselves saying, hey, I'm going to just live my own life right now. I'm going to do things the way I want to do them. And then when I'm on my deathbed, or maybe once I turn 20, once I turn 30, once I turn 60, then I'll give back to the Lord. But that usually doesn't happen that way because tough things happen in life and even more difficult things happen in life as the result of sin. And we know that sin, it only hardens our hearts more and more. Sin, it only dulls down, it dumbs down our senses and what we perceive as truth, it only dumbs it down. We need to be so careful with this. But God, he warns Noah and he tells him, hey, come in the boat, start getting things ready, and in seven days, it's going to start raining. And again, we need to remember, it had never rained before. It had never rained before. We have some idea of this. Living in Miami, especially in the summer, we have a really good idea about this, right? Of what rain looks like, of what a lot of rain looks like. We know this all too well. But in this time, this had never happened. Last week we talked about like if God said that there was going to be a huge blizzard in the middle of Miami in the middle of July, right? Like, pfft, what no blizzard in Miami, much less in July. And again, we have some sort of an idea of what that is. But these people had never seen this before. Verse 5, Genesis chapter 7, it says, Noah did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. And now Noah was 600 years old when the flood of water came upon the earth. And then Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him entered the ark because of the water of the flood of clean animals and animals that were not clean and birds and everything that creeps on the ground. There went into the ark to Noah by twos, male and female, just as God had commanded Noah. You see, family, Noah's life was marked by obedience. Noah's life was marked by obedience to the Lord. He did all that God had commanded him. Again, it's easy for us to read this. Okay, he worked on a boat 75 years, 120 years. He had a bunch of animals. He preached righteousness. But then when we say, hey, come, let's go to the prayer meeting, how often do we obey? 
We say, hey, let's go and let's go to Dolphin Mall and just preach the gospel to everyone. Let's preach righteousness like Noah. How many of us do we come and we obey that calling? It's easy for us to just read the passage and come in and come out. But are we allowing it to really penetrate our heart that, man, there was a human being, a mere mortal man that decided to obey God in every aspect of his life. And I can be this same type of person. I can obey the Lord in each and everything he asks of me. It's also super important to know in verse 7, again, why would the Lord, why would God's word be so specific in these things? In verse 7, it tells us that Noah went with his wife and each son went in with their one wife. And we need to remember Noah was seen by God as a righteous man, blameless in his time. And now he walked with God. That's what we're told in Genesis chapter 6 verse 9. And I believe, other Bible scholars believe, this is reinforcing the fact that God created marriage for one man and one woman. Because he saw Noah and he said, hey, this is a righteous man. And he wasn't a polygamist. He wasn't a homosexual. He wasn't a bisexual. His kids weren't fooling around or messing around. They all had one husband and one wife. Again, reinforcing what God had done. And it wasn't that the whole world around them wasn't messed up. We know they were super messed up, the whole world around them. But God looks down and says, hey, Noah, that is the man who's righteous. We should turn to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew 19, and even Jesus, he has things to say about marriage and what it looks like. He has things to say about gender and what that looks like. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 4. And this is Jesus answering the Pharisees. The Pharisees loved to come to Jesus and talk to him in riddles, uh, but they really weren't willing to hear any answer that he had for them. They were just trying to catch him but in verse 4 after being asked about divorce Jesus answers them and says have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh so they are no longer two but one flesh and therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Again, the Bible is specific. It doesn't just use words by accident. The words in the Greek, the words in the Hebrew, their vocabulary is much better and much larger than we have in English. So when God says, when Jesus says, hey, I made them male and I made them female, that's what he means. He says what he means and he means what he says. And then when he says, for this reason, a man, singular, shall leave his mom and dad to go and be joined with a woman, his wife. Man, God is very specific in how he created us. All of mankind, they have their own opinions. All of mankind, they have their opinions of what's right or what's wrong. And even though some of our opinions are right, some of our opinions are wrong, even though we may be confused with what marriage, sex, or even gender is supposed to look like God, he's not. And he's not confused in the Old Testament. He's not confused in the New Testament. He wasn't confused in the days of Noah, and he's not confused today. He's created us in a special way. And if you want to enjoy life to the fullest, play by his rules. 
play by his rules and see how the Lord will bless you in ways that you can never imagine. But again, going back to Noah, what was it like for him and his family to enter into the ark before a single drop of rain, right? If I was Noah, I would be begging and pleading, God, give me like, I don't know what a drizzle is, but God, can you give me a drizzle, right? Can you give me an ounce of something? Can you help me out here? Should I just spit in the crowd so they can at least feel what the rain feels like, you know? What should I do here, Lord? What's going on? Getting into that boat a week before even one drop of rain was going to fall down. But I'm sure, I'm sure they were getting pretty busy putting all the animals situated, putting them in their right pens, making sure that the lions weren't getting loose or the bears were doing anything crazy. If you have kids, you know how long it takes to just load up to go to the beach. So uh, imagine what loading up eight people and at least 700 pairs of animals would look like. It would take probably a week, right? Take a long time getting all of that ready, all of that in order. Then they also have to bring in all the food, all the water, all the clothing or any supplies that they would need for a little over a year. From when the rain starts to the water subsides, they were in that boat for over a year. It's 377 days, I believe. So if you think the teachings are long, man, imagine being in a boat for an entire year. The next thing that I love is at the end of verse 8, it tells us, just as God had commanded Noah. You see, God warned and foretold everything to Noah through their relationship with one another. God, he didn't leave out any details. He didn't leave him any surprises. And everything God told Noah came to pass. And in our day and age, we don't hear the, the audible voice of God all that often. And be careful when someone tells you or tries to pretend that they're constantly hearing the audible voice of God in their life. Right? Ladies, gentlemen, single ladies, be careful when people tell you, God told me you're the one. Right? Because God, he can talk to both parties. He can talk to everybody, parents included. Uh, he can talk to everybody. But for us, the way that God talks to us primarily is through what? It's through his word. It's through the Bible. And now everything that God tells us in his word it's going to come to pass. Every sentence, every chapter, every book, everything in this Bible is going to come to pass. So how do we read it? How do we study it? Are we really holding on to it that, man, this is God's prophetic and powerful voice trying to speak into my life? That greater than Google, he wants to show me how to deal with my kids that maybe don't want to obey right now, or he wants to help me how to deal with my spouse and myself that are in a difficult time. He wants to teach me how I should properly invest my money or how I should take care of someone in need. God's word, he covers it all. He covers it all. But we continue verse 10. It says, it came about after seven days that the water of the flood came upon the earth. And in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on the same day, all the fountains of the great deep burst open, and the floodgates of the skies were opened, and the rain fell down upon the earth for 40 days and for 40 nights. We know that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 7, when God is creating the heavens of the earth, it says God made an expanse and he separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse and it was so. 
how the earth it had this perfect greenhouse effect, this perfect little cloud or layer or bubble, if you would, of just water. And it would keep it the perfect temperature, it would keep things right, it would keep things correct. If you remember science class a little bit, the earth is not perfect in circle, it's a little bit tilted. And some scholars believe as a result of the flood of popping that water canopy and that vapor, as a result of all the seismic activity of the earth being torn open, of mountains shooting up, of other mountains being dropped down, that that's why the earth is now tilted. It must have been crazy, guys. Must have been absolutely crazy. We walk around after a hurricane. I don't know if you walked around after the last hurricane, but it felt crazy seeing all the trees down, all the power lines down. Imagine, I mean, I guess they'd have to swim around, right? Or just be in the boat around. But man, everything that was going on, it must have been madness. And we look at the book of Revelation, you look at First and Second Thessalonians, and once the rapture comes, guys, it's going to be utter chaos. It's going to be madness. You don't want to be here. You don't want your friends and family to be here. We want to be on the boat. We want to be a part of the eight people on the boat, just hanging out, playing with some lions, being with the family, playing some cards, eating, and spending time with the Lord inside the boat. It's also important to note that the number 40, it's used with judgment. It's used with testing and with purification. The number 40, it's used with judgment, testing, and purification. And usually this number is used right before a new season in life, whether it's for a group of people, whether it's for a specific person, and things of that sort. We know that Moses, he spent 40 days and 40 nights with God on Mount Sinai. He does it two times. But the first time it happens in Exodus chapter 24, verse 18, if you want to take notes for later. We know that the Israeli spies, they searched out the promised land for 40 days. And that happens in Numbers 13, verse 25. We also know that Israel, they spent 40 years in the wilderness, out in the desert because of their unbelief, because of their fear of entering into the promised land. They spent 40 years in the wilderness and they waited till the whole generation was wiped out. Numbers 14, verse 33. And finally, we know that Jesus was tempted for 40 days in the wilderness before he started his ministry and God did mighty things through him in Mark chapter 1, verse 13. So if you're into numbers, some people are super into numbers, the number 40 has a lot to do with judgment or with testing. Genesis chapter 7, now we look at verse 13. It tells us on the very same day Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth, the sons of Noah and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark, they and every beast after its kind and all the cattle after their kind and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, every bird after its kind and all sorts of birds. So. They went into the ark to Noah by twos of all flesh in which was the breath of life. Those that entered male and female of all flesh entered as God had commanded him. And the Lord closed it behind him. Or some Bible translations say he closed the door behind him. 
To me, this was absolutely awesome. Robert Jameson, he tells us literally in the Hebrew, it's that he covered him round about. It's not just that he shut the door, but it's that the presence of God was shutting him in, was protecting him, was covering him. It was the announcement that Noah had become the special object of divine care and of divine protection. And that those outside of Noah, those outside of the boat, their season of grace was now over. You see, family, as we go through trials, as we go through judgment, when we're in the will of God, He just doesn't leave us out there, right? He doesn't just leave us out there with floaties or with a really cool unicorn float, right, or a pizza pool float. He brings us into the boat, and now He's covering us round about. That's what the Lord has for us. That even when we are in seasons of judgment, God wants to protect us if we're in his will. If we're not in his will, then he lets us go out. Just like church discipline, why do you allow people to get out of the church? Why do you send people away? It's so that after they're beaten and bruised by the world and by sin, that they would want to turn back and say, man, that hurt way too badly. I want to be right. I want to live with the Lord. I want to live right by God. It's also amazing that Noah was not the one who decided when to shut the door. Noah wasn't the one that after being annoyed with the people not listening or maybe he got too many tomatoes thrown at him, he said, ah, forget them, I'm shutting the door. Let's get in the boat and let's wait here. God is the one who shut the door. And this is the grace of God and it's also God keeping us gracious and merciful. And may we be careful Family, may we be so careful to never shut the door of salvation on other people. So often we are really quick to do that. Like, okay, Lord, you're convicting me. I need to preach the gospel to this person. But it's like a one and done sort of a thing, God. They don't even get the three strikes. It's just one and done. I'm up to here with them. I can't spend any more time with them. I'm sick of them. But may we continue to show that grace and mercy and kindness to the people of God and to the people that aren't a part of the body of God. It's great to remember, family, do you remember who you were before you came to the Lord? Do you remember the type of person that you were? And maybe you haven't changed much. This should stir you up. But the Lord, He's taken me from the miry clay. He's taken me from the mud. So how dare I now be less gracious with someone else who's there in the mud? I shouldn't be annoyed or frustrated. I should be seeing my former self, hoping that someone's going to be willing to be just as gracious to them as someone was once gracious to me. In Matthew 25, verse 10, it tells us while they were going away to make the purchase. This is the parable of the ten virgins. It says, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him into the wedding feast, and the door was shut. Are we ready? Are we ready for the return of Jesus? Are we ready for that wedding feast? Because there's no second chances in this. There's no do-overs in this game of life, in this season of life, in this mortal flesh that we're in. There are no do-overs once judgment comes. Once the rapture comes, there are no more do-overs. Once death comes knocking on our door, there are no more do-overs family. Once the door is shut, it's shut. But that season of grace, again, Noah to be there. Someone preaching at them for 75 to 120 years. That's a long time to be preaching to a crowd that never changes. That never changes and doesn't do anything. 
Revelation chapter 3, verse 7, we are told of Jesus that he is he who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, and who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens. Jesus is the one that shuts the door. We know that Jesus tells us in the Gospels, I am the door. I am the only way to get into heaven. It's not through living good. It's not through some sort of divine scales that God has upstairs that we have to outweigh our good and bad. It's only through Jesus Christ. David Guzik, he tells us, the ark was salvation for Noah, but it was condemnation for the rest of the world. There were no second chances for those who left out. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, we can start in verse 6. It tells us, For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this has become the very cornerstone. And the stone of stumbling and a stone, a rock of offense, for they stumble because they are disobedient to the world. And to this doom they were also appointed. You see, Jesus, he's come and he's given us a way of salvation. There's a boat. There's a boat to get past the flood. There's a boat to survive the flood. But there's only one boat. And that one boat, it only had one door. And it's the same thing for us family. It's the same thing for our neighborhood, for our city, for our county, for our nation, for the entire planet. There's only one way by, in which man can be saved. And it's Jesus Christ. And for those of us, once we're saved, it's our very rock. It's our very rock, or it should at least be our very rock that no matter what season we go through, we're turning to Him. But if we even remember before we came to the Lord, it was a rock of stumbling. It was a rock of stumbling. Man, that's not fair. How can there only be one way to heaven, right? Or that's not right. Why do I have to give up so many things? And that's not love. Those are people. They, they love each other. Man, they're more righteous. They act better than the people who say that they're Christians. This rock, it's either our cornerstone or it's our rock of offense. Either we're in love with it and we want to put our whole lives on it, or we just simply say, it's not fair and I'm offended by what God's word says. We can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 22, Paul, he gives us the same idea. The Holy Spirit speaking to all these different men, writing this one book. They all have the same idea coming from God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, it tells us, For indeed the Jews asked for signs, and the Greeks searched for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Family, the Bible, Christianity, salvation, 
Noah's Ark and the flood, it all looks like foolishness and weakness to the world. But again, all these opinions, they will be put to the side and the truth will come forth like a flood when we get to that great judgment seat. At that time, there's no more opinions, there's no more ideas, there's no more this person said this or that person said that. When we stand in the throne room of God and everyone's on their face because of the glory and His holiness, there's going to be no more excuses. There's going to be nothing to say. We go back to Genesis chapter 7, verse 17. Now it tells us, Then the flood came upon the earth, just like God said, for 40 days. And the water increased and lifted up the ark so that it rose above the earth. And the water prevailed and increased greatly upon the earth. And the ark floated on the surface of the water. And the water prevailed more and more upon the earth, so that all the high mountains everywhere under the heavens were covered. And the water prevailed 15 cubits higher, and the mountains were covered. And all flesh that moved on the earth perished, birds and cattle and beasts and every swarming thing that swarms upon the earth and all of mankind. Of all that was on the dry land, and all in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life died. And thus he blotted out every living thing that was upon the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to the birds of the sky. And they were blotted out from the earth. And only Noah was left together with those that were with him in the ark. And the water prevailed upon the earth one hundred and 50 days family the blood of Christ it's given us such access and such comfort to the throne of God that we should have nothing to fear even if the entire world is destroyed if every animal if every man is destroyed we should have comfort in our God if you're quick you can turn to Psalm 46 again the Bible so amazing Psalm chapter 46 it tells us in verse 1, God is our refuge and strength. He is a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea and though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride, we should not fear. Family, are you fearful in this life? Are you filled with anxiety? Are you filled with cares? Focus on God. Cast your cares on God. You got to block out the noise and focus on the Lord. We are talking about in the pastor's meeting. You can't let any bird nest in your head. You can't let any thought come and just sit in your mind. You got to just swat those things out. Just like you wouldn't want a bird landing on your head, right? I don't think even the people that love birds that much want them just sitting on their head, right? Doing all sorts of things out there. Right? You want to shoo those things away. And it's the same thing with us when these thoughts come, whether it's anxiety, whether it's sin or temptation, we need to cast those cares to the Lord, knowing what His true heart and intentions are for our life. That when fear comes in, we know it's not of God. Fear is not of Him. Respect of Him, reverence of Him, that's of God. But just fear and being afraid and being anxious, we need to trust in our God. 
we need to trust in him. Again, imagine the fear of Noah and his family. Are we really going to make it? Everyone else has been destroyed. God, are we really going to make it? Do you know who built this boat, God? I've never built any other boat in my life before, right? God, I've never even seen a boat before. Are you sure that we're going to make it? We need to trust in God. He is our refuge and he is our strength. Finally, let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. It tells us, know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever, since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of the water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Family, are we asleep? Are we asleep, right? But are we asleep? Are we, do we just come into church each and every day? The same motives, the no looking for change, no looking for difference. I come here because this is what I do. This is what I do every Sunday morning is I just get in my car and I drive there, you know. Have you ever done something that you're in the middle of doing it and you say, how did I get here? Sometimes you're driving and autopilot takes over before the Tesla and you just show up at your house. Man, how did I get here? And sometimes I think that's how we are with the Lord and with church. It's like, man, I, I got to church. I said hi to all the same people. I walked out. And did anything change? Did I really meet with God? Did I really walk with God? Did I make a conscious decision to say, Lord, before I leave this place, I want to hear from you. I want to hear what you have for me this week, Lord. I want to hear what you have for my life, for my kids' lives, for my coworkers' lives. Lord, what do you have for us that we can be like Noah? That when God looks down, he would say, man, that's a righteous man. That's a righteous woman. She's blameless. He is blameless. And they walk with me. They have a relationship and a friendship with me.